Absolutely. If for an active project manager, yeah, yeah. you really want to be one or two steps ahead of your team. Yeah. Uh, in other words, uh, bowling analogy. You know, you need to clear the lane, set up the pins so that your team can knock them down. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Every two weeks, we get together for the express purpose of talking about what matters to you as a professional project manager. We interview guests who can speak from experience. We share in their successes and learn lessons from their challenges. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the resident experts, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, this time around, I think we're going to be able to speak to where a lot of our listeners, perhaps even the majority of them, live every day. You know, Nick, a lot of project managers are managing multiple smaller projects. It can get chaotic. It can be frenetic. And there's a lot to learn there. So I'm looking forward to this episode. Well, our guest today is Michael Pondicio, who has 20 years of experience in project management. Since 2013, Mike has been a solutions consultant and product manager at Abtex Solutions. He's a seasoned project manager who delivers creative solutions to tough technical challenges. And he does it on time and within budget. (laughs) Listen to this list of his current expertise. Engagement management, delivery management, bulletproof management, business analysis consulting, process mapping, and RFP response management. Mike Welcome to Manage This. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and share what I can. Well, that's that's a long list of, uh, of things that, that you are involved in. Obviously, you've been doing this at least for a little while. Tell us how, how you got into this business. I started out in this business working in a small telecommunications company. And as you would find in a small company, everybody has multiple roles. So uh, one of my roles was engineering, and the other role was project management. Mm -hmm. Uh, And naturally, I moved to the project management role because as I was watching the projects be delivered, I realized that um, I could do a better job of it. So (laughs) so I said, let me go ahead and and start helping these people out. And uh, I sort of, uh, just by... Uh, natural propensity ended up going down the project management path, but still managed to do some of the technical uh, experience work as well, um, engineering, solution engineering, and going out with sales teams. But that's how I really started out, was getting into telecommunications, starting in a smaller company, and then just growing with the field as it uh, became voice over IP solutions. I believe that going out with a sales team, being a pre-sales engineer, is like the greatest job in the world <laughs> because you don't actually uh, really have to deliver it. You just kind of make a bunch of promises. Yeah, you just promise it. I hook them, you get to fry them, right? <laughs> is that what we mean by uh, active project management rather than uh, passive yeah, project probably management? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's an important thing, though. To uh, obviously, you were an active participants from from the get-go. How does that compare with uh, maybe others who take a more passive approach? Well, there's there's very much a difference between an active and passive project manager. And uh, those are my terms, of course. I don't think there's an industry standard that defines what that is. (laughs) But um, just for definition purposes, the passive project managers that I've seen are very much folks who will go to the meetings, they will provide status reports, they will fill out their forms. 
they'll ask questions of each person and say, when is the next piece going to be delivered? Oh, we'll have that during next week's meeting. Um, and then a week later, they ask, hey, did you finish that piece? And if the response is no, then when do you think we'll have it again? And they write it down and it goes into the status report. And what obstacles are you encountering that, that are keeping you from hitting your goals? Yeah, Some of them will yeah. ask that. Others will be overburdened or just not yeah. skilled yet yeah. on how to manage those pieces. And they'll just ask the questions. And that's how projects sort of get that slowdown effect where mm. it starts to grind a little bit. Um, so that's more of your passive approach to project management, which I feel is um, it, it's doable for some projects that right. don't have critical timelines. But most projects um, are just that. They have a time frame and a reason for being and a, and a deliverable that is crucial to some other part of the business. So that's where the active project manager comes in to say an active project manager will look at the tasks at hand, ask the questions about when is this going to be done, and then follow up with those people during the week to make sure that those okay. tasks are in progress. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that doesn't mean you're, you're, you're babysitting these people. But <laughs> what it does mean is that uh, if there are challenges or issues, you can get ahead of it because you need to be able to, you know, solve the problems for them. You know, they, they are down there punching the keys or twisting the wrenches or whatever they have to do to right. get their job done. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, uh, they need to have the path cleared for them so that when they're finished mm -hmm. with that setup, they can move right on to the next piece. You know, Mike, I, I'm like you in the sense that I'm managing multiple projects right now. Um, as you're describing this, I'm finding that a couple of these I'm managing very actively. Several of them I'm managing passively, but it's because of the leadership on those projects. I trust the leaders. I don't have to stay on top of them. I don't have to, uh, you know, to, to keep on top of every task. Some of them I do. Some of them, like one of them I'm mentoring and I'm trying to help uh, teach this person sure. project management and the way it works. So I'm really actively involved every day. Um, another one, I don't really trust the leadership. It's outside of this organization, but I don't really trust the, the leadership. So I'm very actively involved in that. And then, you know, the ones inside, generally I'm um, hands off and kind of passively monitoring. It's Certainly. interesting. It is. And every project is different. And every project requires a certain amount of diplomacy, a certain amount of training. Um, the project manager is really kind of likened to a ship's captain. You know, you, you are responsible for that vessel, its mission, and the crew. And you have to know when to um, call for help. Uh, you have to know when to beach the the ship to save the ship and the crew. Mm. You know have to you have to be able to weather the storms, and the the crew looks to you. And then the people who sent you out on that ship need to know what's happening and uh, be able to trust that you're going to make your mission successful with the crew and the ship that you've been given. All those things are project manager's responsibility. Um, it's a tough role. I think one thing that I see in this active versus passive, too, from my experience, and maybe this is true with you, too, Mike, I know for me, I tended to be passive earlier in my career. Huh. I didn't, you know, I didn't quite have the confidence yet, either in the um, what the, the expectations were for me as the leader of the project or in the, the technical side of it. So I didn't want to go embarrass myself or embarrass the team by asking that, inappropriate questions. I get that questions. so much. Yeah. So then I'd wait until, okay, I'll just wait until next week and then I'll ask when I have the right people in the room. So I see that as a kind of a point of maturity for the project manager to get that confidence where he or she knows when to be active and when to when to assert, you know, between meetings and, hey, we need to have a one-off conversation and 
uh, and, and make sure that things are on track. Absolutely. That is um, just, again, back to the ship's captain example. Not everybody's going to go out and steer an oil tanker the first day out. You've yeah. got to get into a dinghy and get in the bay. Right. And try out some of the smaller waves first and, and get yeah. some skills. Um, very, very much the, the same kind of thing. You know what, Bill, as I hear you talking about that, one of the things that's different about me today as opposed to 30 years ago when I was starting my career. 30 years ago, I was really afraid of looking stupid. Mm, right. And I was I was worried about it. And you and I sat in a meeting this week, and the meeting was an area where we didn't have a tremendous amount of expertise. And I just had to stop and say, I don't understand this term. I don't know what you mean. I don't know how you're getting this number. And I don't mind doing that yeah. now. It's I, think like, you, I think you even said, this may sound stupid. But <laughs> and I probably shouldn't have said that because you know what? Um, it's not my area of expertise. Yeah, and right. so when you're sitting in meetings with engineers and you're not an engineer or when you're sitting in meetings with developers and you're not a developer, it can be intimidating. Right. And it's um, you have a phrase that I like. Uh, explain it to me like I'm yeah, a third, like grader. third grader. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Denzel Washington delivered that line in a movie. I think it was Philadelphia. I OK. Think. But I like Tom that Hanks. because yeah, you're, you're not pretending, you know, yeah. and everybody wants to. We're all afraid somebody's going to figure out that we don't know what we're talking right. about. Everybody's afraid of that. Everybody has imposter syndrome in some way, mm -hmm. except Nick. Nick is, is Nick's very comfortable. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, yeah. But the rest of us, and, and it, it's good yeah. to just sit down sometimes and say, okay, explain it to me like I'm, you know, like I'm a third mm -hmm. grader. I don't yeah. get it. And, and if you would explain something to me like a third grader, uh, I, I'm wondering if there's also this fear that you might be labeled as a uh, – a micromanager, if you, if you're um, if you're an active participant in, in this, uh, or, or is there a danger of being, uh, you know, a micromanager? Well, that comes with experience, like everything else, is to know, you know, who are you, who are the people you're managing, yeah. and how far do you need to go down that road of keeping a hand on them before it becomes um, an obstruction to the success of the project. So mm -hmm. at some point in time, you have to look at your crew and say, hey, uh, this guy's just not working out. We, mm. the way we need him to. And um, maybe we need to change his task, his role, or put him on a different project. So that's that's all part of the, the experience that you get starting out with a small project and asking those questions, to, which actually give credibility, I believe. They can. Uh, they may irritate some people. And some people thrive in explaining things in a way that you don't understand. <laughs> so, you know, it helps deconstruct that and kind of move past that. Because I do want to understand most things Nick, I think you get into micromanagement when you start telling people how to do your, the, the job and you start mm -hmm. giving them steps and standing over them and watching. Now, there's a difference because, you know, you train somebody that way, mm -hmm. certainly. But um, I really respond poorly when somebody starts telling me how to do my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just trust me. Get out of my way. Let me, <laughs> let me <laughs> figure it out. And there, there does end up a bit of trust that comes between the project manager and the teams that after you do ask those questions a few mm -hmm. times, they realize that you're not micromanaging. You're trying, <clears throat> you're trying very hard to clear their path. So they yeah. know that if you're asking, it's because they're, you're here to help them, not to tell them what to do. And choreographing tasks might look like micromanaging mm -hmm. at times, but I think it gets into micromanaging when you start telling people specifics of how to do those tasks. Yeah. Something you mentioned, Andy, in the beginning was uh, just managing multiple projects. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming this is fairly common uh, for a, a lot of project managers that they're uh, juggling more than one ball in the air at a time. Absolutely. Um, when I first started out, I 
didn't realize what I was getting myself into with multiple projects. But of course, I took the first project on. And then if you do a good job, suddenly people say, hey, this guy's pretty good at the this. The reward and for success is more work, <laughs> is right? <it> precisely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and the next thing you know, you have five or six projects running concurrently. And the smaller they are, usually the easier that is to do. There was one point when I was working at IBM that I had um, 12 projects running concurrently. And uh, after adjusting my project management methodologies that I used to get to that level, uh, I was able to manage between seven and 12 projects really efficiently, smaller mm. projects, because smaller projects allow you a lot of airtime between tasks so you can fit more in. And if you get them to start to flow, uh, you can actually roll through them fairly rapidly. What are some common mistakes that you've seen for those who are trying to manage those multiple projects and it's not working? Too much structure, I would say. Huh. Um, if you if you follow the project management tools too closely, <laughs> okay, then yeah. you, you can't flex to meet the need, uh, especially if the tools don't match how you think as a human being, which uh, is a very important point. Um, and you will not be an interesting human being to be around either. <laughs> no, no. And Tylenol will be your best friend. Right. Yeah. So. Tylenol and Rolaids. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should uh, look into getting sponsors for the show. <laughs> yeah. Brought you hit on something aids. there. Well, what, what about project management tools that do work? Well, that, again, is very, very personal. Uh, there are so many project management tools out there now, uh, and many of those you have to use because a corporate entity requires that you fit into their project management entity and skill and their uh, project management teams. But... Um, I think the first thing to look at when trying to choose a project management tool for yourself is, uh, let's use the matrix example when the Oracle tells Neo, know thyself. Mm. Incredibly important. You need to understand how you think and how you organize things. Uh, for example, how do you do your homework? Do you pick the hardest thing to do first or the easiest thing? Or is it math you do first or English? Uh, or do you have to clean your home before you can start something new because your mind is scattered. You need to know all these things about yourself before you decide what tool to use. Otherwise, the tool won't match your, right. your thought process. So I, I don't want to suggest any specific tool, but the tool has to match. Now, I agree with you. It's not about the tool. It's about the process. Hmm. You bring up such a good point, too, of the client may dictate that. Correct. Right? And many times it's, okay, well, this is the software we're using. This is what we do to track our progress. This has to fit into our reporting tool. Therefore, you will use this. Correct. You're like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You're paying the bills. I'm with you. All right, That's Bill. True. Fun question for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Roughly how many projects would you say you're managing right now? That's interesting. I was thinking about prior to Velocity to typical flow for me was two to four right. that I would manage at one time. Uh, projects now... A little higher than that, probably six to nine. I, that would be my guess for you as well. Um, I'm in a similar range, and um, some of mine are inside the enterprise, some are out. But now, um, what process do you follow to, to, <laughs> to make sure that they don't uh, fall apart? Yeah, it, and it vary because my role varies in each one of those. The processes that I, my, my processes, therefore, have to, to, to change. And, um, you know, to Mike's point, whether this is it's like a, Bruce Lee's, the style that has no style, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. he's, <laughs> he's adapting. Yes. The internal versus external is such a big difference too. If I can, uh, walk across the office and talk with team members, that's a lot easier than sending an email across the world to other, to yep. find out what's going on with another project. So it really varies. With me, I write things down. I keep them written. 
I use checklists and to-do lists um, religiously. But that, for the most part, now there are software tools I'm using on one project, two projects, but for the most part, that's sufficient for me to have everything in one book that I carry with me everywhere I go. I have that book. I mean, it's really bad. You talk about somebody being boring at a cocktail party, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I think we all, it's interesting. I just had that conversation with a team member yesterday. Uh, we were having a creative session and we all, we had laptops, we had a whiteboard and we had our journals and she pulled out her journal. She said, you know, this is for me, I want to be able to put pen on paper. Absolutely. And, you know, I know I may end up scanning it and saving it as a PDF right. or whatever, but that's where I like to start. And I completely relate to that. I know, Andy, you're a big believer in journals. The horrible curse for me is that I have atrocious handwriting, <laughs> and yet I write down so much. So yeah. it's a it's sort of a double whammy. Well, that's a, it's a good skill to have a journal. It helps keep things fresh in your mind. Because as project managers, we also have lives and kids and families and other responsibilities. So every morning I would sit down and flip the page and then rewrite all the tasks on the next day. And any ones that were completed didn't get put on the list. Yep. So I have a constant history of what I've done and the, and the progress we're the making. I have the same thing, yeah. same system. Now, this is funny because today I kind of blend my personal and professional lists. Um, I had a job where that was not welcomed. And my manager was very actively engaged in my lists and didn't want to see pick up dry cleaning on the way home or anything else, even though it was my own journal that I bought with my own money, you know, and just kept the list. He wanted it kept pure and professional, and um, that would get a lot of unwelcome attention. We love stories here on on Manage This. I'm just wondering if you have any stories about uh, challenges that you face, keeping a project on track, uh, any success stories? Uh, does something come to mind? Yes. Uh, as far as stories for project management success, there's at least one experience where I learned to use a very powerful tool that young people really should learn. They don't teach this in PMI or PMP school, which is how to set expectations about expectations. Huh. In other huh. words... Um, the customer may come to you and say, well, something went wrong and go live and we need to know when it's going to get fixed right now. And the answer to that is, we I don't, don't know. know. Right. Uh-huh. right. Mm-hmm. So how do you get them to bring their shoulders down below their ears so that you can go back, regroup and find out? So um, a tool that I came up with um, is saying, I don't know right now, but I'll know by the end of day tomorrow right when that date will happen. So mm-hmm. let me ex- give you the expectation of saying, tomorrow at close of business, I'll be able to tell you when we'll be able to resolve the problem. Right. Which is incredibly powerful because the other project manager, the customer's project manager, has to report up the chain of his command, and he doesn't know what to do, per se. Mm-hmm. And you're the hired gun, so you're supposed to know what to do. Yeah. So what you do is you've set his expectations properly. You've given him a method to communicate to his management what's going on, which gives you a buffer and him a buffer to resolve the problem so that when you do go back in front of management, you have an answer. And that's really a powerful tool is know when you're going to know when. Yeah. You know, Andy, one of the things that bothers me the most is if, when I've been the sponsor or the, um, the one writing the check, so to speak, for a project, is if a situation like that comes up and I ask that of uh, the project manager – and I feel like they're blurting out an answer. I've got like zero confidence in the the date or the number or the risk, you know, their plan, whatever they've given, because they answered too fast. You know, there are times like that where there, there should be trust built between 
that end customer and the project manager. So the project manager says, yeah, this bad thing has happened. Our team needs time to get our hands around it. Mm-hmm. And I should be able to trust them that, yeah, that's a complex problem. They do need time. You're right. But it goes both ways because I've had, I had a sponsor years ago and I was fortunately not the PM on this project, but I was on the project. Um, I was a software developer and I had a sponsor come in and say, um, we are locking the doors. We are sequestering everyone. Nobody leaves this building. You can have food brought in, uh, whatever, until we get an answer to this. Well, now what's your motivation? Well, give them an answer. Yeah, so we go home. It may be a wrong answer. I got somewhere to go. Right. An and, and a lot of people did have somewhere to go and nobody left, but it was intense and it was intimidating. And so that kind of sponsorship, uh, really garners that kind of response from the PM of, okay, fine. You want an answer? I've got an answer. You know, it may not be right, but it's an answer. You made a really good point about the confidence that you have in your hired project manager about is his answer valid? Is it something I can count on? Because his business is relying on that, right? Right. So they brought Mm -hmm. you in to solve a business problem. You're the hired gun who's going to do it and keep the promises of the sales team. So I'm going to go full nerd on you here, and we're going to go use a Star Trek reference. Okay. So when it comes to <laughs> setting expectations, you have to use the Scotty, the engineer solution, which is he always figures out how to solve the problem ahead of time so Captain Kirk can you know shoot the enemy and win and score. But he does that by uh, telling little lies. He gives himself a little bit of a buffer. You know, it it. I won't have the engines fixed for six hours, Captain, right? But of We're course. giving her all she's got. He always talks about the <laughs> yeah. effort as opposed to the outcome. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're trying really hard. <laughs> but he may believe he can get it done in three. Right. And yeah. if he does, he's a hero. If he doesn't, he gives himself a little more buffer time to get it done. So right. ultimately, whatever you're providing to the customer as a project manager, as a solution time, now you're setting precedent that if I say it, it's going to happen one way or the other. You can count on it. And that's really powerful. So I'm hearing that communication obviously is a key, but not just just communicating. Also, the way you communicate is absolutely, so yeah, absolutely. That's part of the psychology of being the project manager and the diplomat, which is you may be able to deliver a solution to the customer when they're stressed or they need to make a choice or they've asked you to make a change order out of the project. But how you deliver it is equally important. So you never want to just go with one solution because the customer may feel you're dictating to them what they need. Mm -hmm. So you want to come with at least, and I always brought three solutions, and how you order the solution delivery is important as well. So you may want to bring one that's really expensive, one that's going to take a long time, and then the one that you believe is going to solve the problem properly. He's a sales guy. (laughs) This this is perfect. (laughs) But you always put the solution that you want the customer to take because you believe it'll solve the problems and make the project go right as the second option. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever wants... It's like the multiple choice test when you're a kid. If you don't know the answer, you pick C. Yep. (laughs) When in doubt, Charlie out. There you go. Something you mentioned about what Scotty did is actually have a solution before uh, Captain Kirk notifies him of the problem. Uh, Is that a a concept in project management that works? Absolutely. For an active project manager, you really want to be one or two steps ahead of your team. Uh, In other words, uh, bowling analogy. You You need to clear the lane, set up the pins so that your team can knock them down. And that's what you want to do all the time. What's if, Once you finish this task, Bob, what's the next thing you need to be on? And what do you need, need to have done before you can do that next task? And then as an active project manager, you can run that down for them. Um, one other thing that we, we used to do, um, 
as a, as a good tool, depending on the type project you're working on, is uh, I would go sometimes to the project room, bring a easel, a large sheet of paper, and a black marker. And I would write all the tasks that needed to be done on that board so they could see them because you don't want the task list to be a secret. Hmm. You don't want your, your project plan to be something you have to dictate. Let them pick and choose uh, when they get up and they finish the task and they're thinking, I'm going to go out and have a cigarette or get a Starbucks coffee. They walk by the board and go, oh, I can get that one more thing done before I leave. And they'll check them off as they go. So the team starts to work off the board. There are ways to motivate and get folks as a team rolling together to get a project done because you have to get past the doldrums. Today, checking Facebook has become the cigarette break slash Starbucks <laughs> run. Yeah. We lose 10 minutes an hour <laughs> to, to, to that. Facebook. Yeah. And pushing, well, let me jump in. And pushing the project, I mentioned doldrums in the project because every project has a cycle. And sometimes it cycles over and over. The energy of a project has an ebb and flow. So you'll, you'll end up where the initial energy of the project is exciting, solutions-focused, and um, end result-driven. And then you get into the work. And then you get to the grind point where it seems like you're putting a lot of time and effort in, but nothing's really moving forward. And that's where the active project manager does a really good job of trying to pull his people through that period so that at the end, you don't have the crunch time and the need for the Rolaids and the <laughs> Tylenol again. Right. So um, moving, being able to observe that and staying ahead of that curve and keeping your people motivated is a critical part of project management. Again, it's, project manager isn't just a task manager. You're not there just to you know, check off the boxes and fill out the status reports and put the red, green, blue, yellow dots on the page. Uh, you really are responsible for the people, the deliverables, the customer's need, which has to be very personal. If you don't personally understand what you're delivering, you're going to fail. I think a lot of times a project coordinator's job is to do the red, green, blue, and to keep tasks flowing and to keep things ordered. But the PM is so much more than that. I agree with that. And Mike, one of the things that we like to talk about in some of the courses that we teach is uh, in risk management, looking at positive risks. And one of the common positive risks that, again, I think project managers need to be aware of is sometimes things are going to be done faster than you anticipate. Sometimes because Scotty sandbagged you earlier on (laughs) his estimate. There's sandbagging, Mm -hmm. there's breakthroughs, there's, Hey, we used a new tool this time or this software worked even faster. And then I love the idea that you present of, okay, is there a something at a high level, like a product backlog or something at a lower level, like a task and activity list where then those resources that do free up, you as the leader, as the uh, captain of the ship, you said, okay, this is, this is great news because I've got these additional things. We're actually going to, we're going to land at, you know, we're going to get to the port faster than we planned because you freed up, you finished up something fast, here's something else to work on. Absolutely. You got to be yeah. proactive to do that. Though. You do have to be proactive. You have to know what tasks you have available, which works very well in managing multiple smaller projects because quite often you'll have multiple projects, but one team of guys or girls. <laughs> one so team. Then you have, one yeah, team. you have those resources. Yeah. You're flipping not only to tasks, but tasks within different projects. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that and that is the mark of a good project manager who can manage multiple projects together is how to blend the resources across the tasks while making sure the customer's needs are met. It's it's can be quite quite a challenge. It's understanding priorities. It's understanding relationships. It's setting expectations. That's a tough gig. And in this whole process, how do you know when it's time to to end, to pull the plug? 
(laughs) (laughs) That is such a big question. Uh, And it really is dependent on each project. Um, uh, Sometimes it's when the person who pays your check every month says Mm -hmm. it's done. Other times it's when the project (laughs) is signed off by the customer. Sometimes the customer doesn't want to let go. They, they, they don't want to cut the umbilical cord. After the project, you have a punch list or a post-go-live period where you're still on site, and they don't want you to leave. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to go to your management and say, hey, these guys are done. The project's done. The punch list is complete. You've got to let them go, which is another part of expectation management early in the project to make sure that you identify somebody in-house who can then take over for you when you leave with confidence that they understand what they've been given, right. how to manage Transitions. it. Transitions. Transition it. Mm-hmm. Very important transitioning uh, tools for that. Um, most of the time, the best way to solve a, a project closure or the best way to close a project for that matter is to properly document the deliverables in the first place. Hmm. Make sure they're complete. Right. Check them off. Make sure that the promises kept by the salespeople behind the scope of work are met and try and pull those out of them before you start the project so you can be confident going in. And uh, that's how you finish a project properly. Uh, But again, it depends on a number of things and every project's a little different. Uh, And and I hate to be so open-ended to say a number of things, but um, it really could be change orders or time or any other thing. Mike, what are, if you're giving advice to a project manager on this point, Mm -hmm. what key documents or artifacts do you tell them to go pull, to know when done is done? There are two documents, I would say, um, based upon the type of projects you're doing. One of those, or let me rephrase, or the methodology you're using to deliver the project. Uh, One would be the design document that is created after the scope of work is signed and before you start implementing. That's where you get all into the the smaller nuances of what the actual deliverables are going to be. Uh, The other one is a more personal document, which is uh, when you do receive a scope of work, typically that is an outline of what is to be delivered. So there's really no true definition of what complete is at that point. However, if you can get a hold of the sales engineer (laughs) and the salesperson and find out exactly what the conversation had been, what is the initial solution that they need to solve the problem they brought us in to solve in the first place. Because oftentimes that is lost in the technical details later. Why are we here is the question you need to ask the sales team. And what did you promise them we were going to do in order to finish this, to solve their problem? The Agile community puts a lot of emphasis on the definition of done. How do we know when we're done? What what does that actually mean? Because that word can be misused (laughs) very easily. Litigated. Let's (laughs) let's define it for this project. Well, I think I'm going to be the one to say that we're done. (laughs) That that we've accomplished what we uh, set out to do on this podcast. Mike, thanks so much for being a part of this podcast today. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad I could be here and share. Before we go, is there a way folks can get in touch with you uh, to maybe uh, hear more of your expertise? Uh, Certainly. uh, I'm always willing to share. I love to share my information on history and experience. Um, I find that... uh, it, many of the things we've discussed and many of the tools that I've talked about aren't available in project management training. It's just skills that you acquire over right. years of being a project manager. So if uh, you'd like to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I can easily be found. Check the notes uh, from the podcast and uh, look forward to hearing from anybody that wants to reach out. Great. And and also we have a gift for you. We don't like anybody to leave empty handed that uh, manage this coffee mug. 
there in front of you is yours. Which is a perfect tool for a project manager who needs lots of caffeine. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Mike. Thank you. Listeners, we have something to give you too. Have you claimed your free PDUs yet? You've already earned them just for listening to this podcast. To claim your free professional development units toward your recertifications, go to Velociteach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and then click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in next time for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at velociteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And you can always tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.